Um, welcome to everyone to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. And I'm Logan. And um, we're doing something that we, we haven't really done yet in uh, kind of a co-teaching back and forth. So um, Logan and his wife Bethany have been a member, members of our community for uh, over three years now. And um, yeah, they've been absolutely phenomenal. You probably have seen Logan around um, as the, the lead for our local global ministry, which is really about um, encouraging our community to be a faithful presence wherever God calls us to. And we have some of these partnerships that Logan's going to be talking to you about later. But um, Logan is also at Asbury Seminary um, getting his MDiv, no big deal, and, uh, and also seeking family counseling. And it's been so neat um, getting to know Logan and talk through that. And he says, you know, for the longest time he's known that he's called a pastor and he doesn't know what that's going to look like at some point. And so we wanted to, uh, I just wanted to honor him and kind of create space for him to learn um, what it is, and, and just for him to bring his heart for you here tonight. So we're going uh, to be co-teaching tonight um, around this idea of justice as worship. So we've been in this series uh, for two months now where we've been talking about colony, uh, and our phrase has been, what does it mean to be the people of God in the 21st century? Um, that the Bible is not a handbook that we can just go to and it's a one-for-one, find the answer to this specific problem, but there's, there's got to be something more to it where we're encountering the real and living God. We're being transformed by the Holy Spirit that we become more like Jesus. And as we go out into the world, we see it for what it really is, that we're people of honesty. But then we also step in as the hands and feet of Christ to administer his kingdom. And that's what makes us co the colony, the citizens of heaven. And you know, it's interesting this week um, to be stepping into this idea of justice as worship. Um, we've seen, you know, just over this week, you know, for, for even for our community, a month out from the, the Pulse shooting uh, just down the road um, to this week where we've seen uh, two men um, killed by police officers. And then we saw five police officers killed after that in Dallas. Um, so Alton Sterling in Louisiana and Philandro Castile in Minnesota, these policemen in, um, in, in Dallas. And... I, I, it, I just want to, first of all, I commend and I'm so proud of this community because I've watched how so many of you have responded first to the Pulse shooting um, and then to the atrocities of this week. And I see in you um, that the church is waking up. The church is waking up. That we are, we are part of a much larger thing that's happening nationally and I believe that it's happening internationally. That the church is beginning to wake up to the heart of the Father for the world. And to see so many of you steward that welling up of injustice, not because it's just about right and wrong, but that it's about saying this isn't, this isn't the way we were designed. This is not the way that the Father intends for things to be. And I've, you know, I stalk most of you on the social media and I have watched the conversations that you've had, and some of you have come to me for kind of advice on how to maneuver some, through some of these things. And there's been so much grace in that. There's been so much grace. There's been so much of a faithfulness to what is true, but there's also been so much grace to stand up and to say this is not right. And I think it's it's beautiful opportunity for us to have these kinds of conversations because our culture is in a squeezing point. I think a lot of us are feeling that we know we can't really continue to go on the way things have been going. And I believe this is an opportunity for the church to start taking the lead in some of these conversations and speaking out about what it looks like when God is king, 
what it looks like when God isn't in charge. And indeed, that's who we are as his colony. So I'm going to pray, and um, we're going to step right into this. So Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you are here, that you are with us, that you are for us, you are not against us. Lord, we come into this place tonight, many of us confused, many of us angry, many of us numb, many of us feeling woefully uninformed, many of us feeling that we have too much information and we don't know what to do with it, Lord. I thank you that each and every one of us is able to come into your presence with whatever is on our hearts and whatever is on our minds and still experience your presence, your goodness, your love, your compassion, your advocacy for us. Lord, remind us that even right now, your son, our savior, our big brother is at your right hand interceding for each one of us by name. And that right now, Lord, your spirit is within each one of us doing the exact same thing, advocating for us, championing us. Lord, if we don't understand that, nothing else matters. None of the promises matter. None of the calls to action matter if we don't first testify to the truth that you're with us. So, Father, as we step deeper into this conversation tonight, I pray that you would open us up, mind and heart, to receive your truth, to come before you seeking your face, that we'd be transformed by an encounter with you, and that we'd be so ready and willing to go out and to be the faithful presence this world is crying out for. We pray these things in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are called to pursue justice as a vital form of our worship. If, if we're going to call ourselves true worshipers to King Jesus, we have to pursue justice. And so what does this word justice even mean? I think from the world's perspective, it's very merit-based. You do good, you reward for it. You do bad, you get punished for it. It's black and white. You get what black and white, you get what you deserve. But God's perspective is so much bigger than that. He's not contained within that small box. To God, it's putting the world, all of his creation back to the way that he intended for it to be from the very beginning. And that's on all levels, for the individual, for community, for all of his creation. God's focus is increasing the quality of life among relationships, relationships with each other and relationships and caring for all of his creation. And so when we use the word justice throughout tonight, that's what we're talking about, is God's vision of justice. And we have to realize that it's on both a personal level and a global level as well. It's justice for me, it's justice for each of you, for each of your brothers and sisters, but it's justice for the whole cosmos, for the entire world. And we also have to realize that God gives us spiritual gifts as a way to enact justice. Think about that. So many of the gifts we're given, all of the gifts that he gives us, are used to put the world back to the way that he intended for it to be. For example, look at the gift of healing. For, for the individual that's receiving that healing, it's a personal justice. Whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, they're being realigned. They're being put back to the way that God intended for them to be. Another example, look at the gift of administration as a communal justice. 
Part of administration is establishing systems that treat people well, that care for people well, that love people well. This is putting communities and organizations back to the way that God intended them to function. I feel like we need a bell or something, you know, like, <laughs> bing! <clears throat> um, and so even a couple of weeks ago, Cole was talking to us about in this series that it's not just about um, us for the world. It's not just about us for them, but it's also us with them and how we partner with the world in order to pursue justice. That we're, we're, When we're talking about global scale stuff, homelessness or poverty or whatever it might be, that we have permission by God to be able to partner with those that maybe don't recognize his name and to seek to make the world a better place. But I think it's also the church's uniqueness in why we pursue justice in the first place. And it kind of goes back to what Logan's been sharing about the world standards of justice is based on reward and punishment and right and wrong, based on some sort of standard that we've come together as human beings. But justice through the eyes of God is seeing it put back in the way that he intended for it to be. And that's really why we pursue justice, because we recognize the call from God to administer his heart to set those things back. So while we're able to partner with the world in pursuing justice, it's more than just about right and wrong for us. It's more than just setting things straight, but it's actually seeing things come into alignment. And it's so beautiful because time and again, throughout creation, uh, throughout the story of scripture, we see creation echoing back to God in ever-increasing measure who he is. We call this his glory. When things look more like God, that brings him glory. And so when we participate in God's rescue project of the world, we're bringing him greater glory because Human beings and creation itself starts to look more and more like he does. And so for us as Christians, when we step out into the world, when we witness the atrocities that have gone on this week, we don't stop at the question of what's right and what's wrong and who needs to be rewarded for their heroism and who needs to be punished for these atrocities. But our real questions as Christians is what is God's desire here? So we want to be fully honest with how we see things and we're fully honest with brokenness and atrocity. But our questions that guide our response are what does this look like? What is God's heart here and what is his desire to see this thing put right? And the truth is that justice can actually, a pursuit of justice can actually be incredibly life-giving. A lot of times we think about ministry and justice and, and acting and doing as something that's inevitably going to drain you. Did you ever grow up kind of feeling that we come in to church and we feel good and then you're going to go out into the world and you're going to do and you're going to give and ministry is inevitably something that's going to drain you. You know, even in previous churches that I was a part of, that was kind of something that was taught to us. If you're really serious about being a Christian, you'll quit your job, you'll work for a 501c3 nonprofit organization for peanuts. You got about 10 years before you just hate the world, and that's what doing ministry is. You know, and it's so unfortunate that many of us have, have learned that. We have this hesitation when we hear a word like justice that we feel overwhelmed or we feel like we're going to be taken advantage of or we're going to be drained. But I think the truth is that when we pursue the heart of God, it actually becomes sustaining. It becomes life-giving. We see this so beautifully in Jesus' story. In John 4, it says this, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And and. Praise be to Jesus. He never answers the question that's being directly asked of him. He says this. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples, again, as you see so often with them, bless their little hearts. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus. 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, we think that work is the thing that's going to drain us and that we need to remove ourselves from work and then go and get refueled so that we can go back out and be drained. But what if like Jesus, we had that understanding and this is so key, it's because Jesus was in constant intimacy with his father that he was able wherever he went to give out of an unending supply of love and to pursue an unending supply of justice. And it was actually in enacting the kingdom and practicing the kingdom and freely offering the kingdom that it became life-sustaining to Jesus. It became life-giving to him. And I think for us, when we make that shift in our mindsets that pursuing justice will drain us to pursuing justice will actually sustain us and bring us life, it will, it will give us a fuller understanding of who God's calling us to be. And so if justice is a form of worship, what's the bigger definition then for worship? Because a lot of us tend to get stuck in thinking worship is about the songs that we sing and the religious acts that we do in church. Bing! Just kidding. The the 8 o'clock, we won't do that. We should should get an actual bell. That's what I'm saying. When we pursue God's heart, that is worship. True worship forms us into the very likeness, into the very image of God our Father. Pope Francis says, you pray for the hungry, then you feed them. That's how prayer works. Friends, that's how worship works. It's the, and we have to realize this. It's the Spirit of God moving in and through us that does the transforming work within us and gives us a heart for the things that God's heart is for. And with that, it requires immense humility on our part. We cannot muster up the strength on our own and say, yeah, I'm going to go and pursue justice. Let's do this. No, we come humbly before the Lord and we say, Holy Spirit, work in and through me to align my heart with the heart of the Father. And out of that place, show me your eyes for where you want justice to reign. And then I will move boldly in that. And so why does this matter? Why are we even up here talking about justice? It comes down to this. God loves justice. God cares so intimately and deeply and passionately about justice. And if we are going to claim to love God, to care about God, to follow him, then we have to care about the things that he cares so intimately for. And so for, for years, um, I've been leading teams down to Peru. We've been partnering with this church called El Viñedo, which means the vineyard in Lima, Peru. Um, and one of the things that we've been really intent as a community is that we want to develop long-term, sustainable relationships, first and foremost. We don't want to drop in and out and do something that just makes us feel better about ourselves. But in those long-term and sustainable relationships, we want to offer the gifts and the passions specifically of our community to champion what someone else is doing and to see them be able to fulfill their mission even better. And it's been amazing time and again as I've led teams down there and I myself have been transformed by saying yes to God in the places that he's called me, but also in leading students and leading people from this church community down there to say, let's just See what it looks like for us to be a faithful presence on the ground, loving our brothers and sisters, helping them to fulfill their mission. It's, I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you come home from the end of the day where you've been serving and you're absolutely spent and exhausted, but you're so content. You know, where you've given everything that you are and you found out that you actually have more to give than you first believed. 
and you find yourself, you know, exhausted, but just so in touch with the presence of God in that. I had an even, in a different way, I had a revelation last year that recycling is worship. You know, what was our very first vocation when we look at the scriptures in Genesis? Adam and Eve were placed in a garden, and they were told first and foremost, hey, care for the garden. You know, and that vocation has never gone away for us as human beings. That's part of our divine vocation. It's the job that God has given us to do. And a lot of times we think about something like recycling or caring for the planet as an inconvenience at best because it kind of gets in the way of efficiency sometimes. But I had this revelation last summer, like, oh my goodness, when I actually take the time to separate these things out and put them on the side of the road, which honestly is not that difficult, <laughs> this is worship because this is me saying, God, I know what your, your world is supposed to look like. And I want to say yes to that and I want to steward that. And so it's amazing when we, when we begin to think in those terms that pursuing justice, seeing the world put right in the way that God intended for it to be, when we begin to see that as worship, it enables us to start thinking creatively about how we worship. I think a lot of times we want the first, the revelation of God's heart to give us the reason to go out and to be obedient. But so often it's us being obedient to be who God has called us to be, even if we don't feel like it, especially if we don't feel like it. But to choose to step out by faith, to be obedient, to be the kind of people that God's calling us to be, it's on the other side of that that we have this profound revelation of his heart. And so we have this cycle of obedience and revelation. The more that we step out to enact God's new world, the more we understand God's heart for us. And the more that we understand God's heart, it enlivens us and it brings us deeper into a commitment to be his sons and daughters and to be his vehicle of change. And so what we want to do is we want to just take a moment um, and ask this question of each of you, just to kind of affirm right now in your life, perhaps there are things that you're doing or you're participating in that are already worship, and perhaps you don't realize that. So I want you to just get together with two or three people next to you and, um, and just dialogue for a few minutes around this question. What are you doing now that can be seen as worship? So go ahead and gather up and just take a couple minutes and share. You can't say recycling, I already took that one. Give you about 30 more seconds if, if someone else needs time to go. All right. You know, it's amazing when we begin to redefine what we consider worship, that even the smallest, most insignificant actions can be per perceived as worship if it's us stepping out and through our words and through our actions, calling something back into alignment with the way that God has intended for it to be. It could be as small as just smiling at someone who works at a gas station and, and, and interacting with them as a human being because so often they're merely seen for their function. You know, it could be something as big as going halfway around the world to, to, to minister to the refugees that are coming out of Syria um, and are kind of overflowing in these camps in, in Germany and everything in between. But as we begin to realign understanding of what worship is and what justice is, it gives us that creative imagination to begin to see the things that we do in a new light. And hopefully instead of being a task or a chore or even an obligation, it becomes a source of joy. 
And so what's the relationship between the things that we normally associate as worship, whether it's through the songs that we sing or the religious acts that we participate in together at church uh, and, and justice the way that God defines it? Without pursuing justice, our worship is meaningless, meaningless in the eyes of God. And we see this when we look at Israel's story and what God's response is to them, uh, specifically through the eyes of the prophet Amos and Isaiah. To give you a little bit of a background, uh, so when Amos comes on the scene, the king of the northern kingdom, Israel, his name is Jeroboam. And Jeroboam sees a situation in which the, the powerhouses, the superpowers of the time, aren't doing so hot. And he takes advantage of that. He takes control of the trade routes, and he broadens and expands Israel's territories and boundaries. Uh, and so with that comes a time of immense prosperity. However, the result of that was there was a stark contrast between the power and the wealth on one side and the misery of the poor on the other. And so as time went on from that, the, those on the side of the power and the wealthy, they continued to pursue after their own gain, their own pleasure. How can I live a more comfortable lifestyle? What's the luxurious type of lifestyle that I want to live? And they had no regard for what those choices meant for those that were oppressed and how it was oppressing them. And so when Amos comes onto the scene, he sees people that don't count the cost of their comfortable, wasteful, luxurious lifestyle. The cost being trampling on the poor, oppressing the poor. And so they grew indifferent towards the least of these. And not only that, they even went a step further and they corrupted the court systems and the economic systems in a way that trampled on the poor even more so that they could gain more, so that they could become more comfortable and live the type of life that they wanted. And here's the real kicker. During this time, religion was flourishing in the nation. People were flocking to offer sacrifices, to engage in their rituals, even though their lifestyle was a lifestyle of injustice. And so not too long after, Isaiah comes onto the scene, and he's prophesying to the southern kingdom, to Judah, and they're engaging in nearly identical types of injustices that the northern kingdom was. And so here's what God says through the prophet Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 1, or Isaiah Isaiah. I don't know if they're teaching that in these seminaries. <laughs> this is what it says to the prophet Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case to the widow. 
One of the popular phrases from the civil rights movement I think is so appropriate today is that prophecy at its core is speaking truth to power. This is what prophecy is, speaking truth, capital T, truth, to systems of power. And we've talked about several times in this series that Jesus was very forgiving of the individual, but was very critical of the systems that caused places of injustice. And it wasn't here, it was that Israel was not being Israel. Israel was not participating in idolatry at this point in their story as they had in the past. But there are two kinds of sin in the Old Testament. There are sins of idolatry, where we take our eyes off of God as our source and we begin to attach that to somebody else. And then there are sins of injustice, when we begin to treat people out of alignment with the way that God has called us to treat people. And so the songs and the prayers and the services and the festivals were offensive to God because they weren't pursuing his heart. And this sounds potentially insulting to us. It's kind of, you know, it makes us jump back a little bit because it makes us feel like, well, what's the point of all of the other things? But I think there's an invitation for us here to, to take this very seriously. We have to redefine what we think worship is in order to understand the fullness of what, it, what we're really called to be in the world. And we also have to trust in the character and the goodness of God to receive the kind of conviction and correction from him that makes us alter course. Because we don't want to be caught in that place where us coming together here on a Sunday night and singing these songs and giving of our tithes and offerings is the end of the conversation. And that those things become hollow and meaningless because we're not being transformed. Because we're not becoming more like Jesus to see the world the way that he does and begin to step out his hands, hands and feet to seek justice. And so God's response through the prophet Amos is very similar to what we see through Isaiah. Uh, in Amos 5, 21 to 24, he says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And so the part we want to highlight there is let justice roll on like a river. And the form of the verb rolls there suggests the image of a river rolling over itself in such a way that waves are being produced one after another, after another, after another. In other words, like a raging river, justice should pour forth with such great speed and aggression and passion like a stream that truly never ends. It's not a one-time act. It's not even just simply a state of being but rather it's continuously flowing out of us through the Holy Spirit doing the work in and through us. That is what justice rolling like a river looks like. Friends, this is why we've talked about such things as nonviolence over the past few weeks. This is why we've talked about such things as the issue of racism or the least of these. This is why we mourn with our brothers and sisters of the LGBTQ community who have gone through a horrific tragedy here in our very own city and whose ramifications has gone all throughout the nation. And th that community that has faced oppression time and time and time again throughout the years. 
This is why we pray with our Muslim brothers and sisters who are being attacked because of their religion. This is why we talk among each other about the injustice of black people being killed because of the color of their skin, the very skin that God has given them and sees as beautiful. We talk and we do these things because God cares about justice. And he cares about the injustice against the marginalized, the least of these, the oppressed. And if justice is truly going to roll like a river, like we read through the prophet Amos, then we need to be made aware of the oppression around us. And we also have to realize this. Talking about becoming aware, becoming educated, and being willing to be vulnerable with ourselves and acknowledging it, while that is such a vital and crucial and important step, and maybe it's a step that a lot of us need to go and make from tonight. We also have to realize that it's the beginning step. We need to pursue God. We need to press in the Lord and to see how he desires us to take action in such a way that takes up the cause of the least of these. And it starts with looking in the mirror. How am I contributing to the oppression by my actions or even by my inactions? How am I contributing to the oppression by the things that I say about others or even by my silence in those moments that I need to be speaking up and being a voice for the voiceless, being a voice for those whose voice is not heard? Let justice roll like a river, actively, passionately, aggressively, with such great zeal on our part and power and strength of the Holy Spirit moving in and through us so that humanity may be restored back to God's original intention. This whole process is worship. This is worship. And so what are we saying then? That all these other forms of worship are meaningless and unnecessary? Of course not. Look at what Jesus has to say. So in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus speaks the seven woes to the Pharisees, um, a group of religious elite who were caught up in the actions of religion, but without the heart of the Father intact in that. And we've talked about before that whenever we're talking about religion, if we are pursuing God uh, with everything that we are, any kind of rhythms that we establish in our lives are blessed because they bring us deeper into his presence. But if we pursue things as religious acts unto themselves because it builds us up or it validates who we are, then we find that it falls short. And so one of these is in uh, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so he validates both of those forms of worship. And he says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. In their days, in order to keep clean, you know, a gnat would be considered an unclean animal. But it wasn't a total atrocity if you were to accidentally swallow one. But they were so intent on following the letter of the law to its finest to prove how well they could perform that they keep these little screens over their drinks that would keep the gnats from accidentally falling in there and they'd, and they'd sip it and, and commit uh, um, uh, a sin. But Jesus is saying, you strain out a gnat, you'll get into the smallest little tiniest details of trying to follow the law and yet you swallow a camel. The biggest, the biggest creature in, in their little world. So you're missing the point. Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. 
And it's beautiful because God has invented this cycle of worship where his people come together and we read the word and we sing these songs and we participate in these religious acts that tell us the story time and again of who God is and what God is doing in this world so that we can go out into that very same world and begin to see it the way that he does and to enact his kind of world where he is king. And then we come back together and we sing songs and we're transformed and we're lifted up and we go back out and we participate, and we love, and we call things into justice, and we come back in. And it makes us better worshipers when we see those two halves of the process of worship being fully brought back together. So that brings us to our final point. Let us be people who marry our words with our actions. Let us be people who marry our words with our actions. Jesus' little brother, James, had this to say. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And he goes on in chapter 2 to say this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so many of us in the Protestant church get up and say, no, 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 we're saved by faith, not by works. And we say, yes, that's true. But your works are evidence of your faith. Your works are evidence. Have you really received the grace that has been freely afforded to you by God? We don't work in order to earn something. We work in order to work out something that is an interior reality within us. That's why we step out by obedience and it leads us to this greater revelation of the Father's heart. And James says, some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Our actions are a natural outpouring of our beliefs. I can tell you what you believe by the way that you choose to participate in what's going on around you. And so, you know, so much of this week about participating and posting on social media, about having conversations about Black Lives Matter or whatever it might be, this is so important, but it's just the first step. We cannot be people who think that we have participated in justice because we've posted something on social media. We start by educating. We start by listening. We start by being open-eared and open-eyed to see the world the way that it really is. But that's just the beginning. We have to start stepping into being people with creative imaginations who go out and say, okay, God, now what? Now that I see the the world the way that you do, how do I use my passions and my gifts and my geolocation in order to go out and participate in justice? And so we come to the question, what does this look like practically? When you came in tonight, you should have gotten a handout. And there's three steps on it, on the front side. See, pray, and worship. See, 
where is justice not already rolling down aggressively like a river? Look around you in your city, in your state, in your country, around the world. Where is injustice prevalent? Become educated, become aware. Two, pray. What's God's heart on the matter? What does God have to speak about? How does God desire to redeem that particular injustice so that it's connected back to the way that he originally intended the world to be? And then after the Spirit's aligned your heart with the heart of the Father, worshiped, take action on it, and let that be your worship. James says in 1, 26 to 27, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worsh- worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That phrase, looking after the orphans and the widows, is a call back by God to take care of all those that are oppressed, all those who are trampled on so that justice could truly roll like a river. That's the pure and faultless religion that's acceptable in the eyes of our Father. That is the worship that is pleasing to God. I want to leave you all with the James Lindbergh quote. He says, when the people of God expend their imagination and their energy in advocacy, in working to remove the discrimination built into the economic and legal systems, in finding ever new and more effective ways to take up the cause of the powerless, then justice will begin to roll through the land like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Would we be people that use our imagination, our creativity, our energy, our time, and our resources to enact in a way that puts God's creation back to the way that he intended it to be? And in that, justice will roll like a river. And so we took a time to just kind of affirm ways in which you and I are already perhaps participating in worship as as justice without even recognizing it. And so now we want to take a reflection on this question. Where is the Lord calling you to worship him by pursuing justice? And so I'm going to pray. We're just going to take a minute before we step back into musical worship to ask that question. Where has God already enlightened your eyes to see injustice? Where has God already given you uh, passion? He's given you gifts. He's given you perhaps a place of privilege to actually step out and do something. And we believe that that's the place when we're, in, when we're interacting with God in that place, that, that type of intimacy where we come to him before we rush out and seek to do, that we actually find this sustainable lifestyle of worship. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this challenge. The challenge that you give us to be worshipers in thought and word and deed. So Lord, right now, would you send your spirit to illuminate to your dear ones here? Where are the places that you're calling us as a community? Where are the places you're calling us as individuals to step out and to act, to be your faithful presence? to be your mouthpiece that speaks truth to power, to be your hands and feet that seek to lift up those who are oppressed and overlooked. And Father, would you give us the divine imagination to seek how we go about doing that in a way that brings you glory. Thank you, Father. Lord, continue to speak to us about that question.
And so we're going to step back into worship. And I want us to step back into worship tonight, recognizing that it's the place where God transforms us, where we meet his spirit and where he transforms us to look more like Jesus. Do you realize that when we come together and we sing with one voice and we pursue one Lord, we leave this place looking a little bit more like Jesus than we did when we walked in? Isn't that amazing? That's what we're doing here. That's what all of this is about. So I want you to stand up and I want you to center everything you are on worshiping God tonight. That we might meet him, that we might be changed and transformed and that we go out from here with joy and with gladness, recognizing the honor it is to come alongside of him in administering justice. So Heavenly Father, as we, your people, come together here tonight to worship you in song, I pray that your spirit would move so freely that you would be transforming us and shifting us and realigning us, that you would open our eyes to see the way that you see, that you'd open our ears to hear the way that you hear, and that you'd bring us ever deeper into your kingdom as citizens of your colony of heaven, that we would leave this place transformed and changed and so ready to put our energies into whatever you call us to. So Father, bless us as we bless you in this time. Amen.